So without saying a lot more, because I know he's going to say a ton more, I just would ask you please to open up your hearts and welcome Chris Burns. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Hey, um, has anybody got a, a Bible I can borrow? You're first to the... I didn't bring a Bible. I, well, now what kind of preacher doesn't bring a Bible to church? Good night. Man, this guy ain't much of a preacher. Um, <clears throat> thank you. And it's my version, too. I'm King James only. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> my, my wife was actually raised King James only. Um, you know, King James, tongues are of the devil. She got filled with the spirit. They thought she was a witch or something. It was wild. But uh, she grew up in a very religious. I grew up completely opposite. I grew up and uh, had no idea of the church. I was 19 years old. Had, you know, I thought Noah, you know, part of the Red Sea and, and Moses, you know. Uh, I don't know. I didn't know a whole lot. I was singing songs. I got saved um, 19 years old was traveling. I was in a, a band that was signed on a record label out of Los Angeles. We were touring, and at the time, um, we had just kind of, you know, hit it and hit the, got signed to a major label, and I'd, I'd gotten saved, and um, God uh, saved me radically, led me out of that, and three weeks after being saved, I was uh, at a little church and um, leading worship for about 50 people singing songs I had no idea about. And I literally would get guys that were playing in the bars the night before to come lead worship with me and help me out because I didn't know any Christians. And so, uh, you know, they come in all hungover and like, hey, man, we're here. And, uh, I was singing songs I had no idea about, you know, like as these old Brownsville ladies, man, these old Pentecostal Brownsville ladies showing me all the, you know, uh, songs and Take me into the holy of holies. And I'm singing all these. These are the days of Elijah. I'm singing all these songs. And I don't know who Elijah is at this point. Like, I, I, really, I don't know what the holy of holies is. And I'm serious. And I'm singing about it. But the Lord has bit, had us on an incredible journey. It's pretty good that, uh, you know, I'd say that I, we, we didn't know a whole lot. Because when I was 22, um, we got launched into the national kind of whatever um, traveling and God, what we have come to know as itinerant ministry, which is basically when someone told me, they said, you know, Chris, uh, we're going to give you a love offering. And I didn't know what that meant. That could mean a lot of things. And uh, I said, okay. And they said, we're going to give you a love offering. And I realized something hit me at 22 when I realized that people actually got paid money to lead worship and to worship God or to preach. It was a foreign concept to me, but uh, the Lord, we had such really naive and pure hearts and um, have maintained that by the grace of God, I feel. Um, we've, the biggest thing is when you're around the church for long enough, if you can guard your heart against cynicism, it's one of the greatest victories. Because if you can say, you know, man, I'm not cynical. I'm still childlike. I'm still believing. That's what I see, uh, you know, in Brent and Suzanne. I mean, they they just so childlike, so so just open and, and just just humble and hungry. So the, the same mutual feeling back to them. But, um, you know, 
you, I was uh, I saw a lot traveling around and through the years, you know, traveling sometimes 220 days a year, flying everywhere. Uh, in the early days, we took our family. You know, I'd take my family to Europe for 30 days, and then we'd go to the Middle East for three weeks and minister to and do meetings, secret meetings, you know, with the Muslims, and we'd go to, and then, you know, we've been all over Asia. And the awesome thing is that, um, you know, we were doing, we were doing it, and by the grace of God, so thankful, never tried, you know, it wasn't like you go to ministry school, and you're kind of like Solomon the sorcerer, and you say, hey, lay your hands on me, I'll pay you a bunch of money to lay hands on me, and then I'll get the gift you have, uh, you know, like, uh, we just, we just got launched into something we had no idea about, but you know, after traveling um, for, all, for those years, I did find my heart begin to burden for something more. And I, I know a lot of young people might think, although it's entirely false, you might think that having a microphone in front of your face means success or having a title or having some sort of ministry thing, you know, is, 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 the, is the term of success. I want to tell you that in the, in the form of being like 28 years old, traveling around, you know, and, and having your band and I'm traveling and you, it's just, you live in conference world, you know, and when you start to live in that world, you lose touch with reality. And uh, I began to pray like, God, I'm so burdened for something more than just more meetings. Um, I really, God, want to be a part. I don't, I want to waste my life on you. I really want to do what you've called me to do. And God began to speak to me about being a living letter and a walking epistle and not just having people who preach messages that they know, but having people that are walking, living messages because they've lived what they're talking about. And the reason that Jesus was so powerful when he spoke is because he was the word made flesh. He was the literal, he was the living word. The reason why people who are unbelievers and believers said, man, when this guy speaks, it's like, they said, he's not like the teachers. He's not like the preachers I've heard. He's not like the Pharisees. When this guy talks, my heart burns within me. I'm stirred. This man speaks as one having authority. The reason why is because he was the word that he spoke. And when you've lived the message that you speak, it carries a different weight. It carries weight. People don't, you know, care about so much what you say, but how they feel and how they're impacted when you say it. And I, I found that, you know, um, Really, a man can have nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. And I've, I've, I began to see in 28 years old, I was praying, 27, 28, you know, and here I am. We're in this nice, comfortable place. To be honest, we kind of hit our groove, you know. I got three children, um, and uh, not by myself, I do have a wife, um, and uh, didn't do that one. No three immaculate conceptions. Thank you, babe. Uh, it was a lot of work, a lot of hard work having those babies, I will tell you. Um, and... Uh, you know, I began to think, God, there's got to be something more. And the Lord gave me an invitation. And oftentimes, you'll find that when you pray for something, he'll oftentimes invite you into living for the very thing you're praying for or to live it out. You know, my old pastor said, never pray for patience unless you're a doctor. And the whole thing is when you ask for something, you're probably going to get it. You know, just not in the package you thought you were going to get it. 
And in the summer of 2015, it had been about six months prior, I had began to pray this prayer, kind of like the mother of Samuel, Hannah, when she prayed God for a son. She prayed, God, I want a son. And God, when you pray for something, oftentimes has in mind a bigger uh, thing than what you actually want. You know, uh, he always goes above and beyond. You know, he always thinks different than us. We think to the ceiling, he's thinking to the moon. You know, he, he just, he's different than us in that way. And I've been praying, God, I want to be a part of history. I want to waste my life to see this generation come to know you. And I had um, read a scripture for many years, 1 Samuel chapter 10. And you can turn there if you want. I've, I've realized that, um, man, I don't even know if they sell bi- real Bibles anymore. Because a lot of the, our generation, we just have them on our phone. I, I asked a few people if they had a Bible. And I finally found one when I got up. You, this was the only Bible in the house tonight. And so, you're, I'm kidding. But uh, I had preached this scripture for years about how the prophet musicians on the hill had come down from the hill of God and were playing a song. And when people got into the presence of the song of these musical prophets, they were changed into another man. And if you haven't read this scripture, go home and do it, because I'm just not going to keep you here all night. Um, I know I can see already you guys are hungry, and so I see in the spirit pizza over your head. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just honor the Lord in my, in my prophetic vision. Because uh, <laughs> once you get hungry, you just stop listening, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I've preached this scripture for years, guys. I mean, I taught it in schools. I've written a, I'd actually have a book. You know, I have a book. I have a book, guys. Yeah, and uh, it's used in a lot of schools all over the world. And it's, I mean, probably not huge schools. I mean, probably tiny little schools that no one's heard about. But, hey, people have got my book. I have, do you have a book? But, uh and in the book, I've written about this extensively and uh, just about how uh, it, it's an entire sermon. And I just don't have time. But in 1 Samuel 10, Saul, Samuel tells Saul, he says, you're going to actually go to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And, and, and you're going to see a band of musical prophets coming down, playing a prophetic song. And when you get into that atmosphere, Saul, you're going to be changed into another man. Later in 1 Samuel 19, King David sees this very thing happening when Saul or Samuel is training the prophet musicians because Samuel set up schools of prophecy and schools of prophetic music, which is incredible. And he was presiding over them and composing and teaching them how to release the prophetic song because it wasn't just about having good meetings, but Samuel as a prophet of a nation understood, if I can get... The word of the Lord, the prophecy, the prophetic word of God to come in the vehicle of a song. It's going to touch more hearts and it's actually going to open something up in the earth. And do you know why? Because music is the language of heaven. And frankly, music is the vehicle that comes into the doors of the heart where the heart is usually shut to word only. But when you have music, that's how you can sing a Lady Gaga song and you ain't trying to sing what she's trying to say. 
play, but the melody is in your head. That's because when you as a kid, you just to tell your mom, when you listen to that filthy, foul rap music, Mom, I don't listen for the words. I just like the beat, Mom. But really, deep down, and it's getting into your heart. That's how come you woke up with a Britney Spears song in your head this morning. Because somehow that was coming dislodged in your soul from that one time. You secretly guilty, your little guilty pleasure. You've been playing a radio, Britney Spears. I see you. And it's not who you think. It's the guys with the beards in the room. That's who it is. <laughs> Hit me, baby. Uh, so anyway, I never heard Britney Spears. My, my friends are the only one to tell me about that. I didn't. My center friends. And uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm preaching this scripture for years. You know what's funny is about me is I remember like my early days, even, um, uh, I can't be that early, I'm only 30, but my early day, way long ago, my early days, uh, early on, and man, I'd come off the road when I was traveling, and I'd come home, and I'd take my guitar to the streets, and I'd worship. I'd go to the hill of overlooking my town, and I'd worship. There was something about, like, it's always been a part of me of doing that, and the Lord in 2015 came to me and answered my prayer that I was longing for something more, even though many would say, oh, well, that's success, and I was longing for something more, And the Lord came in a hotel room in Maryland, and he said this. He said, Chris, I'm inviting you to live the scripture you've been preaching for all these years. I want you to go to to the hill of God where the Philistine stronghold is. Now, if you've not read this scripture, again, I kind of went over it quick. But it is imperative for you to understand because he, he called. Think about this. He said, the place where the enemies camped out, I'm going to call it the hill of God. And you're going to see a band of prophets. What is, what is God sending prophetic music to a hill that's supposed to be God's where the enemies camped out on? Maybe because prophetic song breaks up the fallow ground in the spirit before someone takes it in the natural. You know, years later, King David would take that hill of God. He would sack that Philistine garrison. He would kick the enemy out and he would set up worship on that hill. See, Samuel saw it and God did too. And God said, I'm going to send a song before I send the victory. Why? Judah always goes first. Isn't it just like God to send a sound before a move? Before creation, there's what? The sound of God's voice. Before Acts 2, revival, fire, tongues of fire comes and the Holy Spirit's poured out on the day of Pentecost. What, what happens? There was the sound of a rushing wind. What happens before any move? How about 50 years ago on Hippie Hill in San Francisco, California, there was a sound. They called it the San Francisco sound because music carried a whole generation's cultural identity. It's been said, I don't care who writes your laws. Show me who writes your songs and I'll show you who shapes your culture. The Beatles had a greater harvest than the church in the 60s. Because the Beatles had a song that touched the heart. 
And you see what happens is the enemy had camped out on the hill of God. And you know what happens is this, guys. Here's the deal. The enemy always camps out and puts a stronghold in the place of greatest destiny. So where you see yourself fighting is probably where God has called you to set up an altar of worship and a place of victory, ultimately. I would tell you this, that even geographically, there are places that are important. And they just have something about them. I've been to Ireland many, many times. And in Ireland, there's a place called Bangor, Ireland. And in Bangor, Ireland, there was 300 years of nonstop worship. Did you know that? I mean, these monks were crazy. You know, they were probably drinking Guinness and standing in the river and praying. They would. They'd stay in the river right there by the monastery and pray to stay awake at night. And do you know, when you go there, you can feel the atmosphere, man. Yeah, they, the locals call it a thin place. Because, you know, when you build something with 300 years of worship and prayer, you build an altar in the spirit. You might not see it with your eyes, but you can feel it. I don't know if you know this, but San Francisco, California has something on it. It's a womb to a nation. In fact, the Bay Area is a womb of movements to America. How many movements that shape culture have come out of the ground you're standing on? Sometimes you need somebody to come to you and tell you you're standing on top of a volcano. When you grow up in a place, you sometimes get blind eyes. You don't realize where you live. It takes someone to come and say, do you know the history you stand upon? Do you understand the, the place where you live shapes culture for, for nations? Do you know 50 years ago there was a hill called Hippie Hill in Golden Gate Park? It's where this climax of a counterculture revolution happened in the 60s. And in the summer of 67, actually, something happened called the Summer of Love. And do you know the Summer of Love was the flashpoint of a massive influx of hell into a generation and into a nation? Because every time there's great cultural changes, there's always a few things. One, there's always a flashpoint kind of, there's moments that happen that signify the greater example. There's radical examples that set new normals. Think about this. The drug culture comes flying into America in the late 60s, right? Anybody got a drug epidemic in their towns and cities across America? Ask me after. I'll tell you about 50. Every place I go, there's drug epidemics. There's, 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 it's crazy, right? How about this? How about love wins was started by saying free love, man? How about every, uh, many of the ideologies and thoughts that a generation carries in its heart were birthed 50 years ago? Now, here's what's interesting, and I'll set this up for you. You know, the Jews, they don't see time like we do. The Jews and the biblical idea, not the Western idea, but the biblical idea of time is not linear. It's not here on a line. If you look at a Western map or a Western uh, uh, diagram of time, it'll usually start here, and it goes left to right. Time is linear here like this. But the Jews in Bible thought does not embrace that ideology. You see, time in a biblical sense and to the Jewish mind is not linear, but it's circular. As a matter of fact, it's not just circular, but it's like a spiral that goes ever up like this. 
And so that's why they celebrate the same feast days on the same exact day that it happened every day for thousands of years. Because they believe that in that time when God had a breakthrough or when something happened in that moment, they celebrate it on the same day as it actually happened because they believe windows open and close in moments of history to release the same blessing then as was before. And every seventh cycle... uh, it's, I'm getting to be like Perry Stone over here now. I'm like on TBN. And you say, what's going to happen here? The Jewish thought. You're going to go there. He's a nice guy. And do you know, every 50 years, there's a reset. And they called it in the Bible, Jubilee. 50 years is Jubilee. Jubilee was this. It meant that everything that had come to that point it was wiped clean. It was, a, it, was, it was a reset. That's why Jesus prophesied, actually, in Isaiah 61, if you want to read it. Later in Luke, actually says this. When he reads the scripture, he says, The Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and the brokenhearted and, and, and so on and so forth. And he said, Here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That scripture actually says, He's, he's anointed me to declare the year of Jubilee. The acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. Do you understand when Jesus came, he was saying, guys, I'm entering you into a new covenant, which is going to be a perpetual and continual year of Jubilee. In other words, I am coming to wipe the slate clean. What's interesting is that every 50 years, a reset took place in Israel. That meant this. When the 50th year Jubilee came, they would sound a ram's horn. You know what it meant? A sound. Jubilee means, it comes from the word jubilant, which means excited. But jubilee actually meant, biblical definition is, the sound of a trumpet or a ram's horn. They would sound the trumpet and they'd say, it's the year jubilee. What did that mean? It meant every slave got set free. Every slave, they they were set free just like that. It's year jubilee. You got to set all the slaves free too. All the debt is canceled. Sound great? Some of you ex-college grad debtors, God help you. Your debt, boom, wiped clean. You're a jubilee. Hey, if you if you couldn't trust to ever pay it off, you knew if I can make it to jubilee, it's good. Be good to graduate like a year or two before jubilee. You're like yes. Jubilee, debt gets wiped clean. The third thing, the land is resting. It has to rest. You can't plan on the land. And in other words, the land is healed. Right? Cry out to me, Joel, too, and I'll heal your land and pour out revival. Now, here's the deal, guys. Jubilee is powerful. In the summer of 2015, when I prayed in that hotel room in Maryland, God came and answered my prayer. He said, Chris, I want you to go to the hill of God where the Philistine stronghold is. And I want you to release a song. Sow your song into the ground and reap a sound. Because I am going to do something in the summer of 2017 from San Francisco. And I am going to release Jubilee to the nation. This is two years ago. I said, what? Is going on. I'm thinking, okay, what could be in the summer of 2017? I begin to think, oh yeah, it's 50 years from the 67 countercultural explosion that marked and radically shifted and changed America forever. God said, Chris, if you'll hold a Jesus festival in San Francisco, release the presence of Jesus in worship, release the gospel of Jesus in the open air, and do the works of Jesus 
open air. I'm going to release a new Jesus people into America from the Bay Area. It's a place that births movements. And then come to find out, I'm realizing, where did the Jesus people movement start? Hmm, you want to know where it started? In the Bay Area. And guess what? It came out. Guys like Lonnie Frisbee. How many heard of that name? Guys like Mario Murillo. And these guys are literally, they're, they're, they're coming out, and they're, it's coming out of San Francisco. So right in the midst of the rebellion, God pours out grace, and a national awakening takes place. Now understand, understand something here. We're not talking about a church revival. It's in t- Toronto. This isn't Brownsville. We're talking about something that launched from this very place into an entire nation. As a matter of fact, the music that came out of the Jesus People movement from the late 60s and 70s totally changed Christian worship forever all over the world. You can go to the Middle East. You can go to Russia. You can go to Asia. You can go to Europe. You can go anywhere in the world, and they're going to be singing songs that came out of the Jesus People movement movement that came out of right of the ground you're standing on. You don't believe that? You just need to do some, do some history. I'm telling you the truth. You can trust me. Even though I didn't bring a Bible tonight, you can trust me. <laughs> this is true. The Lord actually changed the, the shape of Christian worship as we know it. You don't even have drums in this church right now if not for the Jesus movement. You got none of the lovely little songs that you love to sing and play and hear if you don't have the Jesus movement. You don't have any of that. And God said this. He said, Chris, If you remember the story, of course, he's speaking in reference to a scripture. Anybody remember the story where the prophet Elisha was dead? He had bones and they threw the dead man on Elisha's bones. But there was still enough power in an old prophet's dead bones to raise the dead. I'll tell you, that's that's when you're talking about God has gone deep inside of you. When the power of God has so saturated your body. Elisha had to be a soaker. Maybe a sloker. That's a sleep soaker. That's what I do. I don't go to soaking. You ever do soakings? I mean, you know, you come into the soaking, they play it music. I'm asleep in 20 minutes, right? And then I just have dreams. No, actually, I don't. I just, I just so, sloak. And, you know, Elisha, he had to be a sloker because he, he, he had so much presence on his life that the bones of a dead prophet could raise a man from the dead. Come on now. We'll pray for till we're blue in the face for somebody to get raised from dead. This guy just got touched and he raised the dead. So you take this story. You know what the Lord told me? He said, Chris, I want you to throw this generation on the bones of an old prophetic movement. There's still enough power in those bones to raise a generation from the dead. Said, throw them on the bones of an old Jesus people movement because I'm going to do it. And it won't look the same. And you won't know it by how it looked then. Jesus never comes the same way twice. He's too afraid you're going to get into religion, you know? He does it the same way twice. You start getting religious. Well, I'll tell you, in my day, this is how we had revival. Well, in my day, we did it this way. Well, in my day, this is how you have revival. You do it like this. Oh, you can tell, you can do, hey, last week he showed up because you sang that song. Try doing it the week after and the week after. And you'll find out real quick, he don't come the same way. He's not religious like you and me. He does things different. He's too cool. He's too exciting. You're too boring. That's why he comes. That's what I am too. I'm boring too. I'm with you guys. I want him to show up to the same song. It's easier for me because religion is just doing something without having to rely on his voice. Cast out the spirit of religion. You can do that. The only thing is, the only way to truly stay unreligious is to live by his voice. And so when he told me, he said, Chris, I'm going to have a new Jesus people movement. 
And, you know, he said it was the, the journey, you know, went and, you know, tons of words. And he was saying, Chris, it's the 60s again. Political upheaval, racial tension, you know, a generation that has never heard the gospel. The, the ones who aren't millennials now, actually, teenagers and younger now are called Generation X, where they actually are generation where they, they're not, uh, or no, Generation Z. And they're actually the first ones whose grandparents have never regularly attended church. So we're talking about generations removed. There's a lot of people who've never heard the gospel. And we believe there's actually a worship evangelism movement coming to the earth. And so we, what, what does that mean? Well, that means this. That means that there's a sound before a move. It means there's a song before a change. It means there's something that rides in the vehicle of music that's about to completely change. And jubilee means what? A sound. And so God was very clear and very simple with me. Have a Jesus festival in the summer of 2017. I'm going to release Jubilee to the nation. I'm wiping the slate clean. I'm setting slaves free. I'm healing the land and I'm canceling the debt. And what you're going to see is an awakening begin to brew. Now here's what's crazy. I, I, I really don't want to promise you what any of this is going to look like because I have no idea. He won't allow me. I can't see anything past 36 days from now, 34, 35 days from now. The sound is what we're doing, and it's, it's, it's a Jesus festival, and it's on 7-7-17, okay? It's just easy to remember. Honestly, I just thought I, I first picked that date and then went to the Hippie Hill for a year now, by the way. I've been here, and when I went to the hill, some two guys walked by, and they were just smoking a blunt. And I said, hey, man, what are you doing? And they said, uh, you know, we're smoking a blunt. Uh, and I said, oh, well, I'm playing because I'm going to do a Jesus festival next year. This was last year. And they said, cool, what are the dates? And I said, 7, 7, 17. They go, man, those are heaven's dates. And I was like, man, God can even speak out of a jackass. You know, that's true. <laughs> It's funny, we've been worshiping the last 50 days on Hippie Hill. Well, we're doing 50 days straight. And we're worshiping from 6 to 7. The other day, I'm telling this hippie, these guys, they come up. I say hippie. There's an old counterculture. You, you meet everyone. You know, there's, everyone's out there. This dude comes up. And uh, I say, hey, God's singing over you right now. Did you know the Bible says that God sings over you? He said, cool, man. Let's do it. He's like, just, you know, doing. And, uh, and he's like, and I say, God's got a song for you. Do you want to hear it? And he said, yeah, I do. I started singing what God was saying over him. He got on his knees and just bowed down and began to just, just worship God. You were there. You saw it. And literally, when he, when he did that, I thought, man, this is what it's all about. And then the guy after I was done asked me, he said, when are you guys here? I said, we're here from 6 to 7. He said, 67. I said, we're here from 6 to 7. 6 to 7. He goes, 1967? I go, God, you're speaking out of donkeys again. I hope he ain't watching this, this thing right here. I'll going live. Um, and God, you know, he said, go to, first we thought, well, we'll, 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 you know, oh man, I'm getting hungry. Okay. It's their time. I see, I see the pizza just popped up over your head. I got to wrap this up. Well, I had a whole sermon, but we're not going to preach it today. So I'm going to tell you this. 
We, uh, a year ago, I said, I told my wife this, and she said, honey, that's a, that's a powerful, powerful word. This was two years ago. She said, but I think you're crazy if you think we're moving to California. And I'm like, oh, of course. <laughs> we would never do that. I mean, who could? San Francisco, you know, most expensive place in the world. I mean, I looked, you know, I was like looking when I first thought maybe we'll move. I got on and looked at places, and I found out. That for the same price my house that I owned in uh, Columbus, Ohio, I could actually buy a really nice wooden box on the street in San Francisco. So a cardboard box, but it was like nice and painted for the same price. And then I thought, oh, we're playing different games here, Lord. It's like an impenetrable fortress. You can't even move. You, you West Coasters, you just don't understand how bad you got it in that way. Uh, sorry. I mean, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And I've come up to your level now, thanks to the Lord. And uh, the Lord said, <laughs> I'm good. he kept whispering, San Francisco. And I said, don't you know how expensive it is? How are we going to do that? Also, you got to talk to my wife because she's definitely not going to do that. You know, we have family. We have friends. We have community. All of our family's there. We've been traveling. And God, how can I do this? How can I shut everything down, our life down, and do this? And then God, through a series of wild prophetic words, every you know, made it way too clear. Uh, we got a miraculous check. Didn't know a guy anybody in the city, I'd been coming out to the Bay Area for years, but a guy in the city called me. He said, hey, you don't know who I am, but when you come to Northern California in a few weeks, I see you're doing some stuff in Chico and Yuba City and stuff. He said, come through San Francisco. I'm a pastor here, and I saw what you're doing with the sound. The same day I posted about the sound, this was like two years ago, he said, hey, I want you to come through. I go to his church. I go in, and a miraculous amount of money comes in, this miracle gift, and he says, I want to I help your family be here in San Francisco to help you do what you're called to do. Then, after that, of course, this, the miracles break out. Um, we sold our home. We burnt the ox cart, you know. I tell people we can't afford to leave, and we definitely can't afford, hardly afford to live, so we're just stuck, you know. It's like, and uh, we came, we sold our home, we moved across country, we gave everything. There is nothing left, you know. We, we said, God, we're putting the chips on the table. We believe in this so much. There is no plan B. There is no American dream with a Jesus cherry on top. There's not a little bit to Jesus in a, in a mostly American dream. There is. We sold it. We left everything. We don't know anyone. We came here with our children. It's not always easy. It's not always pretty. It's not always romantic. It definitely doesn't always look sexy. It actually looks really, really gnarly sometimes. But the fact is, is we gave everything to do it. And so for a year, I've been sowing my song on Hippie Hill. And I go from singing in front of, you know, 4,000, 5,000 people and these giant conferences and the whole thing. And then I go to this. Now I'm a guy on Hippie Hill and no one gives two flips who I am. They just know they've never heard anybody probably for many years go up on Hippie Hill and sing about Jesus. So for a year, I went to the wilderness and I sang on the hill because I believe I was preparing the way for something. We're 30 some days away now. If you're just hearing about this, I just want to tell you, um, the nation is coming to, to your backyard. 
The nation is coming to your Bay Area. And what I'm wanting to know is, are you going to show up? Because God's not just going to have some event. You know, we scoff and we get cynical about events. But really, events are like weddings, you know. You go to the wedding because it's a ceremony. But the wedding represents a marriage that's going to be lived out much longer than the wedding. Sometimes God initiates ceremonies. And something God told me, because we we've been given a miraculous amount of money, but we're only halfway to our goal. And I, every single day, wake up in terror, you know, like I wake up and I'm like, no one's coming. We're not going to be able to pay for this. This is crazy. Couldn't I have just done something free or easy where, but I can't, of course, the Lord, you know, he's like, actually wants me to grow. It's weird. Uh, and you know, this whole thing, the Lord told me on the way here, this is what's funny. You, you know, your pastor's so prophetic and uh, <laughs> probably didn't even know it. And uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, money and so on and how God's going to pay for this thing. And, and, and I thought about how the, I've been talking about this thing being a wedding, being like a moment for a movement that's going to sweep and touch, take the presence of Jesus on the streets again. Take the worship of God that we do in here in the open air where it can touch the heart of those who had never walked through our doors, where we can preach the gospel after we've, we've, we've brought them into the presence of God. Because don't forget, you know, the best type of evangelism is overheard worship. Because you can argue religion. You can't argue my love. And so here's the deal. I, I, I was driving over, and, and God says, remember, the Father always pays for the wedding. That's, <laughs> that's what he said. <laughs> and then I thought, again, I got natural again. I thought, I got two daughters, man. This is going to be crazy. Well, they're going to be nuns. They're going to be nuns. When my daughters hit 15, 16, got these nice denim dresses picked out. They go to the ankle, you know, nice, like, Mennonite look. You know, no, no guy ever looked at a girl in a denim dress like, dang, look at those ankles. So, mm. So my daughters will be in denim dresses. But that's just another thing. Just prophesying. And, you know, I, I believe the Father's going to do it. I'm not even worried. You know why? Because it's not my thing. I said yes to God. And if you get something from this, here's the deal. It's not about me. It's the sound is not the pie in the sky for Jesus to bring revival to America again. This isn't the next event that if you miss, you're going to go to hell. Come on, guys. This is not the thing like you're going to miss. What, what I'm saying is this. I've given my life to something. Jesus is writing this story. He's the one doing it. When you say yes to God, your little yes he magnifies and blows it up like dynamite. Your small little, and I say yes every day. I say yes every day. And God says this to me. He says, Chris, when I got here a year ago and I was like, oh, crap, we did this. Wow, we're here. Oh, my gosh. He said, you left your land and you came to a city that I've prepared for you. Hebrews 11. And he said this. If you would have thought about where you came from, you'd had an opportunity to return home. But because you've trusted me and came for a city I've prepared for you, I'm not ashamed to be called your God. That's out of Hebrews 11 when he spoke about Abraham in the chapter of faith. Guys, I want to say this to you. There's a moment happening. God is going to pour out his spirit. I've got all my chips on the table for it. You have nothing to lose. I got I got, I can lose face. I mean, I really can. Because I'm telling you, God is going to show up. He's going to pour his spirit out. Samuel's going to pour his horn of oil over the hidden Davids who haven't been yet seen. And they think they're unseen. And they've been serving in secret for years. I'll tell you what's going to happen in, few, in about 30 days. Samuel's going to 
pour his horn of oil over the Davids, the secret ones, and say, you've been hidden for a long time, but I want to tell you, you're getting, you've been seen by heaven, you've been found faithful, and he's going to mark a generation for the next 50 years in America. The nation is coming. They're loading their vans, their buses, youth groups are coming. People are coming from New York to Dallas to, to Orlando, just from South Dakota, from New Mexico. They're coming to San Francisco. Here's what I want you to do. Will you join me? Will you come? Will you come and serve? Here's the thing. I need Bay Area to show up because we, we need help. I need your help to volunteer. I need your help to sing your guts out, to rumble the ground in San Francisco. I need you to, to come and get infected with something God's going to release to a whole nation in the next 50 years. A massive harvest is on the way. If you don't, um, if you're tired of hearing me right now, then don't do this. But if you want to know more, you can go to the sound2017.com and look at all. You can look at my ugly mug and a bunch of videos. You can hear um, generals, um, you know, that are coming like Lou Engle. Lou has been a huge voice in this whole thing. We got guys like Ray Hughes coming. We do have a lot of great artists and bands, but it's not about that. It's not about another Christian celebrity deal. This is about Jesus and what he's doing. I talked to Melody Green. You talked about Keith. I talked to Melody Green just the other day. And I was on the phone with Melly. She was telling me stories about Keith and how they got saved and the Jesus people. I could have I listened forever, you know. And she said, Chris, she's going to be with us. Melody Green, Keith Green's widow. She said, Chris, I've been waiting on this moment for a lot of years. And she said, I've been given one word. I don't hear from God in a, in a normal kind of prophetic way all the time. I'm not like a prophet by any means. But she said, I believe I have a word of release to the next generation. She's going to come. And don't you know, if the, if the bridegroom leaves, the authority is left to the bride. You can chew on that for a second. God is going to release something in a few, in about, in a few, in a few weeks. Come. And also, I want to say this. So I, I want to challenge every person here because I just, I'm, I, I know we're all hungry. We're tired of, you know. I'm going to ask, I don't know if you want to come and do this, Brent. I don't know how the best transition is for this. You can volunteer here. You can go to the Sound 2017. You can come. You can blast it out on social. You can do whatever you, whatever you want to do. I do want to ask you to give. I would love it if every person here gave $50 for 50 years. I'd love it if every person here, and some of you, some of you can give more. Some of you can give 500, 5,000. But the deal is this. I believe that we're to sow into it because the gospel's related to worship, and I'll end you with this. When Mary poured out the perfume on Jesus, Jesus said, whatever this woman has done will be told wherever the gospel is preached. Her extravagant worship was required to have radical sacrifice. And anytime there's extravagant worship, Jesus is lifted up because she anointed Jesus for the cross. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw him into myself. He said, what this woman did in worship will be told wherever the gospel's preached. You want to know why? Because the gospel is connected to worship. God doesn't just deliver us out of something. He delivers us into something. And if you, the whole point is us becoming more obedient, surrendered worshipers of him. That's it. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. 
in Dublin tonight, God, that you would stir hearts, that you would put a hook in the heart of your people, your precious beloved bride, and that you would call her, God, that this is a moment. You would call to her that this is a moment for a movement, that this is a, is a time to not be cynical, but a moment to come and be touched. Because guess what? It's not going to be just the guys with the microphone. It's not just going to be the gals with the big ministries. It's going to be the Davids who have been hidden. And you're not too old. Smith Wigglesworth was in his 50s before he started. You're not too young. You are not too old. You're not too young. You are just right. And a matter of fact, you're just ripe for the picking. And God is going to pour out oil on you and mark you. And I know it by the Spirit of the Lord God. So Jesus, would you call us to the same, the same assembly, the same gathering, the same tribe. We're in this together. It ain't about me. It ain't about another thing. It's about Jesus. So God, I'm praying tonight that you would call this city, that you would rally uh, friends and youth groups and home groups, and that you would call. I'm asking you. It's like, hey, I'm... Br- just close your eyes right now and picture brave hearts up here. Come on. I'm like Mel Gibson in the kilt. I got blue face paint and I'm rallying you to war. Okay. The only thing is we win no matter what. So come. It's a moment. This is history. I want to be a part of it and I don't want to sleep through my moment. I pray father for an outpouring in this place. I pray for blazing fire. God, My last name's Burns, so I got some clout with blazing fire. Lord, I pray for some blazing fire. And just not even to be goofy and weird. God, I just pray that you would release genuine, explosive revival. I, I have a prophecy. I hear the Lord say this right now. The Lord says to you that... The spirit of revival will visit you in the same way that it visited Ezra. And I hear the spirit of the Lord say to the community that's here tonight of Blazing Fire, that the same way that the spirit of revival visited Ezra, in the book of Ezra, Ezra prayed, God, give us revival for the building of the house of the Lord. And God says to you that my building blocks are people. My building blocks are the ones I've chosen. They're living stones. And God says to you, I'm giving you a spirit of revival in the summer months of 2017 and that living stones will be blown in by the winds of revival. And you will build a tabernacle in the earth and you will use living stones to do it. And they will not be perfectly hewn. They won't be shiny. They will be ones that are from me. They will be used for building and the spirit of revival will visit you. And I want to tell you from that word that there is going to be moments when you stop in a regular worship service. You come in, you know, you got plans at Applebee's after and God is going to kick those plans in the toilet because you're going to come to a meeting and it's going to seem like any other day and something will be different. 
Mr. Revival is going to walk into the room and you're going to say, something's different. Let's not leave. One of the keys, one of the keys to walking in revival, I'm telling you now, is embracing awkwardness. Don't move until he moves. And don't pay attention so much to the clock because that can be one of the greatest enemies too. So I pray right now for that word to to come to pass. I pray for the spirit of revival, for the building of the house of God to be at blazing fire in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, stick around. Did you want to say something? So (laughs) we're going, I actually, what what I want, Susan, would you come up here? I want you right now. Come on up. This is Susan Fokwa. She's a pastor elder of blazing fire. And she's going to barely make her way up here. Um, and, and Chris, we just, I just want to f- f- confirm, affirm everything you're saying. Not only do I feel in my spirit that this is true, this is right, um, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, I, I, we, are, we are already agreeing we don't want to be married to a clock or anything. Whatever God wants, that's what this place is, uh, has been about. And I just have to be honest, there are seasons where we've been more... There have been seasons where we've just gone and gone and gone. Other times where we've, because of where we've been, not having our own place, we had to be out at a certain time. But I'm telling you, we want God's presence. And we want it not just for ourselves, but for a people, for a region. Susan was at your, when you preached um, a week or two ago at the rally in Santa, in, anyway, Fremont. Susan was there, and, and God brought back something to her, and I don't want to give it away. I just want her to tell it, but I'm just, I don't know if you had a chance to hear this, Chris, so you'll be greatly encouraged. But uh, let, tell them what happened, Susan. Um, yeah, 19 years ago, actually, I was, at the time, my husband and I were attending Promised Land Fellowship, now Revive. And um, we were driving home from church one day, <laughs> And I just started seeing a vision. And it was a vision of a grassy field. And it was surrounded with trees all the way around. And I'm like, well, that's cool. I don't know quite what that is. And I I saw these dancers just worshiping, intercessors worshiping on the field. They were just worshiping and loving God. (laughs) And, And about then, this huge storm came in, like storm clouds started coming in overhead and it just felt like it was the presence and it was the holiness of God coming on and the worshipers were worshiping and they were they were just welcoming the glory and the holiness of God and there was other people around that were like running away because it was scary because if you've ever been in the glory of God it can be it can be overwhelming it it can be it it's amazing um and about that same time a friend of mine shared a vision he had also. The same vision at the same time. We both felt the awe and the wonder of God. We just we didn't even know what to do with this. Like, we knew it had something to do with revival. 19 years ago, just coming home from church. And when I saw that picture two weeks ago of Hippie Hill, I went, oh my gosh, that is that. I never knew what Hippie Hill was. But that was the vision I was seeing was Hippie Hill and the worship in Hippie Hill. And, um, <laughs> and about that, I, and this is where the, the piece with the sound came. 
<laughs> comes in. So you know how God can speak through almost anything, right? Even movies. So, so I think about that same time I had seen this movie, and for and I immediately saw this connection because of the just that sense of this this storm, the heaviness in the clouds. It was like something was getting released from these clouds, and and the movie is any of you Trekkie fans out there, is called is Star Trek The Voyage Home. Happens to be my favorite Star Trek movie. But anyway, <laughs> the connection is this. In that movie, there is a probe approaching the earth. And it is sending a sound to the earth. A sound to the earth. A sound to the earth. And it's causing storms over the earth because there is no response. It's looking for a response from the earth. And there is no response in the way the movie goes because at that point in time, it's it's looking for whale song and the whales are extinct in the movie. So the point was this. The point of the movie is this. When finally they're able to, through the magic of, you know, sci-fi, bring the whales to the future, and the whales start responding to the sound that's coming from the heavens. And I believe that's part of what this is about, is God is looking for our response. God is looking for our worship, the sound we release in adoring him and loving him. And that is going to release that outpouring from the heavens that's going to bring that revival. So you all know how to worship God. You all are worshipers of God. You all have your own sound. You all have your own song. Whether you you sing or do worship or not, it's your worship he's looking for. That's all just our simple worship. 